The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. When I embarked on the 1111 magazine, writing became a very therapeutic place for me. I was in the darkest of times at that time when the 1111 magazine came through. And being able to put forward my heart and my soul and my feelings was such a significant part, not only for my healing and the ability for me to move from where I was, but it was what touched other people so that they also received what they needed. I'm really excited about today's guest because I believe writing is such an amazing, amazing part of our spiritual process and part of our healing and growth process. And before I introduce our guest, I want to read a poem that is within the book by Ellen Bass because it really touched me in terms of the words and the expression. And I think that whether we are in our depths of pain or whether we are in the heights of bliss, any of those emotions are going to cause us to write. This is entitled, this is titled, The Thing Is. To love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands. Your throat fills with the silk of it. When grief sits with you, its tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than lungs. When grief wakes you like your own flesh, only more of it than obesity of grief. You think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face. Between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes. And you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. My guest today is Karen Herring, and she's a writer and an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister. Her work has appeared in the Star Tribune, Creative Transformation, and numerous other periodicals and anthologies. She's led hundreds of writing sessions on a variety of themes in congregations, community organizations, and workplace settings. She serves as a consulting literary minister in St. Paul, Minnesota, and leads a literary ministry, Faithful Words, which offers programs that engage writing as a spiritual practice and a tool for social action. In her first book, Writing to Wake the Soul, this writer and teacher invites readers to awaken the still, small voice within through the spiritual practice of writing. And this is really a beautiful book in helping you to not only open up to writing, but also helps you to know the areas to contemplate. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Karen Herring to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you, Simran. It is great to be with you and good to meet you on the air. 
<laughs> well, it's wonderful to have you, and I am just such a lover of words. I I can just dive into words and writings and get lost in that sea and get swept away because it just touches my heart and soul. And obviously, this has been a passion of yours and has supported you, uh, birthed you in every way in your own life. And I'd like you to first talk about that, how words and contemplation and writing has been so impactful in your own life to lead you to be someone that teaches others how to use this tool. Yeah, well, I cannot remember a time when I haven't been deeply attached to words and story. You know, I was just thinking the other day as the book was coming out and and thinking, I can still remember being about five years old and thinking, I'm going to write a book someday. Um, and and then I remember how that wish matured when I was at the ripe age of 10 or 11, and, and I had been ill for some time. It was one of those nonspecific childhood illnesses, and I was bedridden for a couple of months. I had a tutor coming to the house, but mostly I spent my time reading. And as I did, I... Some of the books were really important to me. Some of them were silly, lighthearted books, and some of them were serious. But I remember writing to one of the authors at the time and and saying, your book made me laugh, and, and it really helped me through this time. And at that moment, I I decided that someday I want to give back to people what I have received from books as well. And so I'm thrilled to finally have this book coming out into the world and to have it be a book not only of my own words, but one that says, you know, writing is a gift that we can all use. We, um, we each have the gift of language, and when we put our words down on the page, it becomes a gift that just keeps giving because we can keep going back to it over and over again and find meanings that we had no idea were there when we first wrote those words on the page. You know, I read somewhere that contemplation is of the gods, and when I write, I find myself very much in contemplation about words, about scenarios, about experiences, trying to make meaning of life. I find that the vocabulary, however in our society has become so enlarged by whether it's science and technology or some words become so cliche because they've been overused or misused and defined in specific ways when their meaning can be so much more expansive. How how do we begin this process and move away from uh, specifically what we think certain things mean to what they mean for us? That's a great question because the book is very much about words that have layers and layers of meaning. And um, what I've done in this book and what I do in my ministry is I I tend to focus on, on one word or phrase and then look at that word in terms of its etymology, in terms of stories that are about that word, some of the wisdom teachings from from world religions, and to really look deeply into the word and its history and its cultural applications. And, and then to say, what does this word mean for you? Because each of us brings to words our own experience with them, and some of that is beautiful experience, and some of it can be very difficult. And so 
in this book, I'm trying to reclaim some of the words from religious language that have been layered and layered over the years and sometimes have become a part of a tug-of-war contest, you know, as one faction or another says, this is what this word means and it will only mean this. And yet words are meant to be flexible, to be bridges, and not to be pulled apart in that way. So what I encourage people to do is to begin by by tasting the word, say it out loud, hear what's in it, and then go to the dictionary, look up what it means, look at its etymology, look at the different shades of meaning that are in that word, and then begin to write in free association form. The book actually has specific writing exercises in it to help people um, explore the words through their own experience and also through the layers of stories and history. And so everything's there for you if you want to explore these words. There are ten words in the book, and they're words like faith, prayer, sin, redemption. You can see that they're words that sometimes are are loaded with lots of meaning, um, and yet when you go into them with a spirit of openness, you can find in them just beautiful veins of meaning, and you will bring your own meaning. And so part of what I'm saying in the book and in my own ministry is that when we each participate in language in this way, we enrich it. We bring lots of layers of meaning, and we say that every word has its own story, and each of us brings something to that story. And so it, it allows us to be both playful and, um, you know, have some kind of serious discovery in our writing. You brought up a really valuable point, because in using these words that are of religion, so many people are bound or have their own belief systems and filters based on how they were raised in certain religions that may or uh, may not be free. And in allowing ourselves to begin in this way, we move into a greater expanse of spirituality rather than something that has been placed upon us. It's almost as if you're saying the contemplation of words allows us then to to birth again through this and discover a spirituality rather than the confines of a religion. Absolutely. You know, I think I think sometimes what happens with um, religious use of words is that we make the words harden and they get brittle, and sometimes they even break apart. Um, you know, when when we say that a word means this and only this, we are practicing the sort of calcification of language. We're making it hard and brittle, but actually, it's meant to be flexible because. Language is there. It's born of our desire to connect with one another. And so it's born of our desire to express what our lived experience and our spirituality is, but also to hear what others mean when they say that word. And so this invites us to look at those words from all the different sides and to let them breathe again, to say, you know, a word can't have just one meaning. It will, it will ebb and flow, and it accumulates meaning, and sometimes we have to work to, to stretch it to be broader. Um, so this is in that spirit. I actually grew up in a religious tradition that was very specific about religious language and doctrine and meanings in a way that 
didn't allow my own spirituality to bloom. And so in coming back into religious language at this point in my life, I am overwhelmed with joy that it can become uh, um, more um, lively and spiritual and um, growing thing in my life. There's a very powerful paragraph right in the very beginning of the book, and you write, Our culture's emphasis on the veracity of facts has a shadow side, a discomfort with mystery, myth, and metaphor that sometimes borders on disdain, myth or fact. He repeatedly asked that if truth could be threshed in this way, one being grain and the other chaff, can we instead weave them together, warp and weft, making a stronger fabric and more intricate pattern, a poetic narrative tenacious and timeless enough to make use of both? And this was really powerful to me because of the way sometimes we really do fight for that truth, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the truth. It means that we are branding something in just one specific way, and then we miss out on the greater meaning or the depth of texture that it could have. Right, right. You know, I think it's a, it's a strange thing to me that as we learn more and more in in science and, uh, you know, we learn more about how to explain the marvels and the mysteries of the world, that we forget about the truth of the biggest mysteries that we haven't yet explained and, and about the way that truth moves through all of that. It moves through, you know, the hard facts and also the old, old myths. And if we can find a way to gather that together and to weave it in the sense of, of saying that truth is really, um, it's, it's held equally in myth and fact, and about how we hold those two together with integrity. That's our human gift, I think, to be able to, you know, bring our scientific knowledge together with our wonder over the largest mysteries of all time. Karen Herring became a literary minister, inviting others to explore their own faith and their questions about faith in a contemplative practice of writing that took shape along the way. And this is what she offers in the book, Writing to Wake the Soul. It's no wonder that both this practice and this book are based on keeping narratives open. Both are the result of an open-ended narrative, as are each of our lives and the larger story we are all writing together. You can find out more about Writing to Wake the Soul, opening the sacred conversation within, along with Karen Herring, at karenherring.com. That's karenherring, H-E-R-R-I-N-G.com. And Speaking of the mystery, we are often learning on the second leg of the Rebel Road Tour, going throughout the country, discovering the unknown, discovering the unknown self, and allowing ourselves to experience life truly as it is intended to be, natural, organic, spontaneous, without a plan. It's been amazing so far, seeing so many people across the East Coast and moving in towards the country as we now embark across the lower portion of the United States and to the west coast of the country, meeting people everywhere in the celebration of humanity. You can find out more at therebelroad.com. That's therebelroad.com. We'll be right back with Karen Herring. Again, her website is karenherring.com.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. Welcome back. Before we get back to our show, I just wanted to mention that the next issue, the new issue of 1111 Magazine is now out, and it features some amazing articles from people around the world. In addition, you can also tap into six additional special issues that are following the Rebel Road, featuring all of the amazing people that we are encountering and how people are being rebels in their own lives. It is time to move beyond the excuses of how we live our lives and truly step into our hearts and our dreams so that we can be the change on this planet. You can find out more at therebelroad.com. My guest today is Karen Herring, and you can find out more about her wonderful book, Writing to Wake the Soul, Opening the Sacred Conversation Within, and the different workshops, teachings, and events that are taking place by going to her website, karenherring.com. That's karenherring, H-E-R-I-N-G.com. Definitely take a look there. There's a lot going on, and you will be interested in. This is a book about words. But it's equally about what pulses beneath them, what lies beneath the lines. It opens a path to the inner self and to the timeless wisdom deep within by focusing on 10 key spiritual words. Karen provides an elegant practice for readers to experience greater intimacy with their soul and their world. There's a section in the book where it speaks about Mother Teresa, and it talks about the art of listening. And so often that writing is so much an art of listening as well. When Mother Teresa was asked by a journalist what she said when she prayed, she replied, I listened. Then she asked what God, was asked what God said to her, and she simply 
the pride that God listens to. I find that writing is often a practice of listening, and then it is a practice of channeling, and it is so much that comes inside that we can then create. You can find out how to embark on your own writing style and contemplation by tapping into Writing to Wake the Soul by Karen Herring. Welcome back, Karen. It's good to have you. Thanks. I want to get into... I want to get into a little bit of, um, is this something that is for, if, if you've never written before, or uh, is it something that you have to be a writer, or how, do you, how does someone who uh, doesn't know how to write or has never really tried to do that, how do they begin to really tap into the very deep contemplations or allowing themselves to know what they really feel about something? Because so often, uh, the one that we are least intimate with is ourselves. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's the wonderful thing that um, people have found in this particular practice of writing. There are so many different ways we can approach the page. And one of them is to just sit down and journal, and that's a wonderful way to write. Um, but what I've found in this particular approach to writing that I've called contemplative correspondence is that it tends to be especially welcoming and encouraging to people who may not have been writers before, or maybe they're even afraid of the open page. I lead guided writing sessions in all kinds of settings, and many of them people come of their own will and interest, and sometimes I do them in workplaces where people come as a part of their workday for a, a workplace retreat. And in those workplace settings, I've had people come who have told me later, I was terrified about this. I don't write. There was one chaplain who came to one of my retreats for a group of, of um, spiritual care people in a healthcare setting, and he told me afterwards, he said, you know, I was a military chaplain, and I have served two tours of duty in Iraq, and nothing there terrified me as much as an empty page. He said, I really didn't want to come today. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine that? <laughs> and he told me this, fortunately, at the end of the day, and he said, what I have to tell you now is that I put my pen down and started writing, and I thought I was never going to stop. This was wonderful. And so, you know, I've thought a lot about why does this particular approach to writing work for people, and there are a couple reasons. One is that it's not just sitting down to a blank page and starting to write from scratch. What I do is I give people all of this material to prime the pump. So if we're writing about the word prayer, for instance, I give them poems and stories and images about prayer, and then after I've done that, I give them a running start. I give them a writing prompt that is usually half of a sentence that trails off in ellipses. And what happens is all the material I've given people, I sometimes think of it as if I'm being a sous chef for them. And I get all the food lined up for them, and then they come into the kitchen, and all they have to do is put it together and cook. So, so there's that factor. Then I give them a running start. I give them this half of a sentence. And, you know, sometimes the scariest or most difficult thing about writing is figuring out which words to start with. So I've discovered that if you give people a prompt as a running start, they get partway into the sentence and they just keep going. And they don't worry about that first, those first few words. 
So that yes, and in, each, in the book you have it has sections in each one where you say in your own words, and you actually pose several questions that allow an individual to start or begin to to write what they're feeling. And for prayer, you have you know what is prayer for you? What opens your heart to ancient connection and lets the deepest songs sing through you or reveals the light within you? Of the hundred ways to kneel and kiss the ground, what are your ways? And then you ask the reader to begin writing with these words, repeating them as many times as they like with a series of statements, and to begin with prayer is. And and that that's a very simple, beautiful way to start to discover how we truly feel about some of these words. Now, I've heard that if you write beyond 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes is typically the ego or still the personality involved. But once you get past the 20-minute mark, all of a sudden a deeper part of the soul takes over and what you truly feel starts to come through. Is, is that accurate, or is, or is, it, is there a moment when it becomes something beyond us trying to control it and it truly does start to flow? Yeah, you know, that's, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that number or that, that number of minutes that it takes. Um, what I've found in my own experience and in the people that I've worked with in this is that it may be a little bit more variable than that. Um, and, and I think like any spiritual practice, you know, do we say that it takes a certain number of minutes of silence in meditation to get to, you know, that deeper place? Um, I like to think of spiritual practice as as that thing which makes it easier for us to get in touch with our soul and with the sacred. And that's why we call it a practice, because we do it over and over again, not so we can become perfect, but just so that it gets easier. And so whatever we can do to make it easier and to trigger the letting go of ego, of our inner critic, of our sense of self, um, there are things that I do in my writing session that I also write about in the book that I think are really important to getting into our our zone of truthful writing more quickly. And one of them is quieting our inner critic. You know, that can be a really um, harsh guard at the entrance to our soul. That critic mm. that sits there, you know, you relate to that. Um, it, I think especially with writing, so many of us have really good, strong teachers and mentors who have voices in our heads now, and they tell us what's proper grammar, what's the right way to start a piece of writing, what's the wrong way, how do we spell, all of those things that come in as critical and sometimes important voices. But when we're trying to let our soul speak, we want to send that inner critic as far away as we can. So... However you do it in your own writing, when I lead a guided writing session, I start by, by, you know, spending a few minutes at the beginning saying, okay, everybody, wherever your inner critic is, now is the time to send them out the door, down the hall, let them go work on some other problem that needs their criticism right now. And let this be your time to speak without judgment. Just let the words come. It's amazing. Yeah, and there's another side, too, that I find is so prevalent, especially in Western societies. We are reared 
to have an end result. We're reared to have a measurement, to have a goal, an accomplishment. I've got to, I've got to not just write. I've got to create a book. I've got to get it published. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. How does that um, hinder our writing? And and is it okay just to write for the sake of writing? Because I think so often we put pressure on ourselves to be doers rather than beers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you if you sit down with a an outline of what you want to say for spiritual writing, well, I don't know about you, but that will send my soul into hiding as quick as can be. <laughs> because, you know, I do believe that our spirituality is deeply linked to our creativity. And what creativity can come if we already know the outcome? or if we think we do. You know, if you sit down to write a piece of fiction, in fact, there are people who say, if you already know the end of the story, then it's not really going to be a creative process. Your muse will have no place to go with you. So really, I think you're right. If we let go of the outcomes, we are much more likely to hear the truth that our soul has to speak because how could we possibly know what our soul's going to say until I until we still our own expectations long enough to listen, truly listen? You also speak in the book about uh, different nuances in your writing, such as metaphors, such as ellipses. How are those important, and and how do we begin to use that as we're writing so that we get the, the real feeling or or and the feeling we're trying to get to other people. You know, the, um, the ellipses come in with these writing prompts, which are half-written sentences. And I'm going to answer that first because I think that's very related to what you were just talking about in letting go of outcomes. Um, and ellipses, ellipses are those little dots in the middle of a sentence or at the end of it when something has been left out. So they tell us, either that we can pretty well guess what's there or that we are supposed to fill in the blank. In the case of this particular writing practice, the writing prompts are telling you, fill in the blank. You don't know what's going to be there, but go ahead and write it. And one of the things I talk about in the book is how just the sight of ellipses is itself evocative for us. It's, a, it's an invitation for us to participate in the same way that, you know, you look at ruins. If you go to travel someplace and you, you look at the ruins of some building that was once standing whole, and it's now a couple of, you know, half walls and a, and a few, um, you know, broken down doorways. What happens, one of the reasons those ruins are so compelling to us is that they invite us to imagine the whole thing. And when we do that, we become a participant in it. We're no longer just receiving information. We are participating in creating something whole. And I actually think that's part of the spiritual quest, is that we are all part of a larger wholeness, and we long to be part of it. And so any time we participate in creating or restoring wholeness, 
it is a deeply spiritual experience that can be really profound. So I think that's what's happening with ellipses. We're participating in telling a story, in completing a sentence, in completing a thought. And we won't know until we put our own words on the page what that complete thought is going to be. You brought about another great point as well, and that is, I know that when I began writing and when 1111 Magazine downloaded into me, one thing that I had been seeking and praying for was greater connection. And writing seems to be that place of creating connection and also creating meaning where there once was not, because it expands experiences into greater thought forms and feelings than what they were initially. That's right. That's right. And, you know, there's a way in which there's a danger in in thinking that writing is a solitary activity, especially when we journal or write about our lives. Many of us are used to doing that in a private place, and we keep our journal in a very private place. We might even lock it up so nobody else reads it. But what this particular spiritual practice is challenging us to do is to put our words down on the page in a way that is a personal correspondence with ourselves, but then it asks us to consider how that writing calls us into relationship with others. When I do this in a group setting, I love to watch what happens and listen what happens when people have been writing and then I clear time and space for them to talk with one another about what they've written. Sometimes people have not known each other before that moment, and they bring this writing to each other and share what they've been exploring on their own pages in ways that can be just deeply connective. And, you know, whole new friendships have been born of people just doing that. Um, I really believe that language is meant to connect us one person to another. I mean, that's what it is, right? I'm trying to tell you what my life is like, and I want to hear you say what your life is like. But so often today, we, we live in this world of polarization where words are used as labels that try to divide us instead of connecting us. And this is really bringing us back to the origins of language and religion, I would say, and also spirituality, that it's, it's bringing us back to the place where when we talk to each other, we're doing that of a desire and an effort to connect with one another, not to throw names out and divide us. And I think it helps us to slow down as well, because we are living such busy lives, especially in the Western society, that many don't take time to breathe, you know, much less really contemplate or be with what they feel or think about things. Writing gives that space to be able to at least uh, take a breath or take a moment and really be with the self as well. So it is communal and it is um, something very communal with the soul as well. Right. You know, we we live at warp speed now. And so anytime you sit down to write about your life, it is by necessity a slowing down. And, um, you know, some people really, some people will do this on a keyboard, but some people really like the kinesthetic part of it as well. You know, engaging our hand and our body with a physical page and a paper and, and saying, when I write things out, I begin to discover 
what's been flying past me at such rapid pace all day long. It's a beautiful way of pausing and sitting back and, and experiencing our lives more deeply again. In your own words, another section within this book by Karen Herring, Writing to Wake the Soul, she speaks about grace and what questions that she poses to you in your own words about grace are some of what I'm going to read to you now. When has a murmuration of grace at any time swept you up in a moment of weightlessness? Where have you seen and heard grace moving in the world recently? Perhaps it didn't cover the sky, but appeared instead as the smallest or most ordinary speck barely discernible before your eyes or right there at your feet, reminding you with sharp clarity that you are a part of life's great unity. When have you felt the surplus connoted by grace, perhaps in the deep joy of loving and being loved, or maybe in the harmony of music, in the, chise, in the ch- eyes of a child, or in the doo-doo on a spiderweb at dawn? Consider such a scene from the memory or your imagination and notice where you feel it in your body. What emotions does it stir? Where do you feel it lift if you do? Begin writing with the prompts below and follow wherever it leads. I heard Grace murmuring. This is from Writing to Wake the Soul, opening the sacred conversation within by Karen Herring. She is a writer and ordained Unitarian Universalist minister, and her work has appeared in numerous periodicals and anthologies. She's led hundreds of writing sessions on a variety of themes in congregations, community organizations, and workplace settings. She serves as a consulting literary minister in St. Paul, Minnesota, where she leads a literary ministry called Faithful Word. You can find out more about Karen at KarenHerring.com. That's KarenHerring, H-E-R-I-N-G.com. We'll be right back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? 
Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. practice, 
We need to do a little bit of setup in the same way that if we're doing yoga or tai chi as a spiritual practice, we need to kind of limber up our bodies, right? We don't just move into the most difficult positions right off the bat without warming up our muscles. In the same way, when we're preparing to write as a spiritual practice, we want to warm up our awareness in, in another way of putting it. So, so what we want to do is we want to carefully tend to the beginning and the end of our writing time. You know, sometimes it's so hard to carve out the time for a spiritual practice that we sort of wedge it into our days um, as if, you know, we can just plunk into it. But, but what we want to do is pay attention to the thresholds as we come into any spiritual practice and go out. With writing, I think one of the natural things to do at the outset is to prepare time and space that will be uninterrupted. You know, um, turn off our cell phones, um, close the door, put a sign on it that says, I'll be done in a half an hour. You know, whatever we have to do to give ourselves the, the space and the uninterrupted time that will allow our soul to speak through our pen and through our hand. So that's the first thing. I also personally like to do something that has a bit of a ritual to it at the beginning. I tend to light a candle and use a singing bowl to bring my whole attention to that. One of the reasons that I use a singing bowl is that I like to listen to the sound and pay attention to the moment when it turns into silence. Because I think when we are writing, we're paying attention to the edges of our awareness and, and launching ourselves a bit beyond. So any work of words is about what we can express in words. But I think that when we use writing as a spiritual practice, each of our words is just like a finger pointing toward the holy. And that's always bigger than words can be. It's always more than we can say in language. But if we look at our words in that way as pointers toward the holy, toward the sacred, then we can just relax about the words and honor the fact that they're never going to hold the whole truth, but they might point us toward it. So that's one of the reasons I use a singing bowl, because it reminds me of that. I listen to that sound, and as it trails off into silence, I think, here in the silence. Another ear might still hear it ringing. You know, it's still reverberating in some way. And that's what I'm doing with my words, letting them reverberate into the silence, into that bigger mystery. So those are some of the mm -hmm. things I do to set myself up. And another point I'd like you to go into right now, too, uh, which I think is, is connected here, is engaging the imagination and the memory, because I think that there are many that are either so linear or have gotten so busy that they've forgotten how to have that childlike imagination or how to allow the imagination to flow. Or there are those of us that have had certain memories in our lives we've never wanted to look back at or have not been able to even celebrate because we were so busy. Uh, talk about imagination and memory in this process. Yeah. I think any time we write from our own lives, we are to some degree engaging memory and imagination. You know, memory is that storehouse of, of different things that have happened to us. But, of course, 
we never recall things perfectly as they happened. So there's a bit of imagination at play just in the way we reconstruct things. If we relax a little bit, we might let our imagination play a little more with how things are arranged. This is not to say that it's, you know, not important to know um, exactly what happened when. There are times in our life when we have to report on those facts, and that's really important. But if we can, in our writing, bring those two together in a way that, that allows us to write about what it really felt like, when that happened to me. You know, sometimes I think about those big fish stories. Why is it that people so often exaggerate about the size of the fish that they caught? It's not <laughs> really, you know, that, that they want to pretend that they did more than they, than they did, but it's that when you haul a fish in, it sometimes feels like it is monstrous. And it's often a ridiculous thing when you finally reel it in and you see this little thing in the end of your line when you realize how hard it was pulling on the other end. <laughs> so, you know, there's a way in which Tim O'Brien, the novelist, called this um, story truth versus happening truth. And, he, and mm. he talked about the way that story truth sometimes get it, gets at the deeper um, sensation of what we've experienced. It describes more adequately our whole experience. And so I think when we're writing, if we can engage story truth, we might actually understand better what our widest experience has been. And, and that's usually an interplay between both memory and imagination. Beautiful. You selected certain specific words that you have guided the reader to contemplate and dive into. Will you speak to how, uh, why you selected these words and how you deepened or what this meant for your own soul journey as you wrote this book and contemplated these words for yourself? Sure, yeah. You know, um, this book is born of a practice that I've had leading guided writing sessions on a whole series of words. So I work in a congregation that, um, that holds a particular word for a whole month in its worship mm. and its education. And so many of these words came from that liturgical year. And, um, and so the, the congregation has four years of words, and, and we've just finished um, this is a new program. We've just finished um, the fourth year and are moving into a repetition of them now. We're repeating the second year. And as we do that, um, I lead a guided writing session each month, sometimes more than one, but I lead guided writing sessions on that word so that the members of the congregation can begin to bring their own life experience into how they understand that word. And so each of the words in the book came through that process. I have other words that I use in guided writing sessions in other settings, but these are words that came from that congregational exploration. And so one of the reasons I chose these words is that these are words that were particularly rich as I worked with members on their own writing um, in these words. I also chose some of them because they tend to be... Um, difficult words for us. So, for instance, the word sin. 
I put sin in there because I think that's a hard word for us in the 21st century. I mean, it's really hard to figure out what sin means and who gets to say what's a sin. And so a lot of us just don't talk about sin anymore. You know, we might talk about bad behavior. Um, We might talk about something being wrong. But what does it mean to sin? And if you explore some of the theology around sin, there are some really rich meanings about sin as an ecological concept, for instance. Sin as living beyond our means. Wow. If we, if we reinterpreted sin in that way, what would it mean to confess each week how we have sinned by living beyond our means? That might actually be a useful confession. I say, as a North American, you know. Um, so, so I think it's useful to reflect on words like that. Um, some of the other words in there, you know, I put hospitality in there, which some people say, oh, I never really thought about that as a religious word. It's actually a deeply religious word that's rooted in so many of the world religions and their teachings about how we treat the person we regard as other. And that's really what hospitality comes down to. It's not just how we treat the guests that we've invited to come to our homes, the people that we already know, but it is most fundamentally, hospitality is about how we treat the stranger and the known person who is different. I put that in the book because I think in this moment in history, we are really challenged to think about how we define self and other and how hard we draw the line between those two. And that well, this is I, a beautiful it's a beautiful book and a beautiful collection of words and I really do urge everyone to visit caringhearing dot com and get get more information and get your copy of Writing to Wake the Soul, opening the sacred conversation within Writing to Wake the Soul is a book of sentences, some incomplete, a book of narratives left open, questions unanswered, a theology still being written. It is a book about words, but mostly about what pulses beneath them, what stretches beyond all naming, between the lines and off the page, in the ellipses, trailing after. To be alive is to join a conversation as old as time and still being spoken. As long as we have breath, we cannot opt out. We are part of this exchange. Even silence speaks. So this conversation, its sentences and stories, all unfinished, is just the beginning. And Karen eagerly waits to discover how the conversation might continue with reverence and compassion, with curiosity and generative imagination through a thousand and one nights and many, many more. Ours is an old, old story still unfolding. Begin writing whenever you are ready and follow where it leads. This is from Writing to Wake the Soul, Opening the Sacred Conversation Within by Karen Herring. Definitely visit her at KarenHerring.com. Until next week, in love, of love, with love, and as love. I'm Simon Soon. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.